Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. This is Jarvis Harrington, the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast intern. I think Mr. Stockdale somewhere around here. <laughs> Mr. Stockdale? Yeah. You can call me Ben, Jarvis. Ben, <laughs> Ben, Ben, yeah. You've been working here for a few months yeah. now. I think, you, I think you've gained the, the, <laughs> the ability to call me I think me I've graduated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm anxious, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Jarvis, first of all, where are we? We are in the storage room, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot bigger than it sounds. Uh, normally, a storage room sounds very small, but uh, it's uh, a uh, pretty big storage room, I'd like to think. I'd yeah, like to think. well, we're sitting crisscross applesauce. Definitely. We're getting some good audio. Some we, yoga. In yeah, there. yeah, yeah. We do what we need to do to get the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast right to you. Jarvis, today, what are we talking about? Today, we have part two of the 2019 legislative session with our seasoned professional, Mr. Tom Beam. Uh, more specifically, we are finally talking about the session's main event. Senate Bill 559. Yes, absolutely. Again, this is part two of our legislative recap. So if you haven't listened to the first part, go back and listen to part one. And uh, it'll cover a lot of the clean energy policy. But we're taking a deep dive on Senate Bill 559 as well as some other takeaways from this legislative session. Jarvis, should we jump into this episode? Yeah, seems like it's going to be a good one. Great. Clean energy. Clean energy. Senate Bill 559. Wow. We talked about Senate Bill 559 from the very beginning of Squeaky Clean. Our first episode was a deep dive into the bill. If you listeners are unfamiliar with Senate Bill 559, you're welcome to go listen to that. Uh, Tom's going to give us an overview, but if you want to take a full deep dive into that legislation, go back and listen to the first episode of Squeaky Clean. But Tom, wow, we we are at the end of this road uh, with Senate Bill 559. So tell us, what was the beginning of this bill? Where was it? Where did it go? And where did it end up? Okay, there's probably more detail there than uh, your listeners uh, want me to share. But... <laughs> We're pretty nerdy. I don't know. We can, <laughs> we can hang. All right. Well, let me uh, give you the overview. Uh, Senate Bill 559, uh, to understand it uh, in the simplest of terms, had two parts. The first part, which was relatively uh, uncontroversial, uh, is the part that gave authority to the Utilities Commission to allow utilities to securitize uh, their uh, loans that they uh, took out, they take out uh, in order to uh, pay for uneconomical assets, and it was specifically targeted at all the uh, assets that they had to replace in the uh, wake of the uh, several hurricanes that we've had in recent years. The value of securitization. Uh, from the perspective of the utility and ratepayers, is that if uh, a uh, the utility can securitize those losses, then it's able to get financing at a much cheaper interest rate. And so that interest rate, of course, uh, uh, was reflected in the ratepayers' monthly bill. So that part was non-controversial. 
It's going to save the utility money. It's going to save ratepayers money. It's a win-win. Right. The you know the only quibble that some have made with uh, that. Uh, Part of the legislation is that that's a model that is not a model, but rather a tool that has been used in other states, for example, uh, to retire other uneconomical assets like aging coal plants uh, that the uh, state wanted to get offline for various reasons and securitization would make it cheaper to take those uh, plants offline and close them down. Section 2 is really what the uh, debate about Senate Bill 559 has uh, been all about uh, for the whole time since it was uh, introduced. And it, uh, what it has is it has two parts. One is multi-year rate making. And uh, what multi-year rate making is, is it's authority that would be given to the Utilities Commission to uh, uh, authorize a multi-year plan for the utility, which would have the effect of having the utility have a, uh, a three-year uh, timeline in which they could raise rates without having to come back to the utilities commission uh, for another rate case. Why is that important? The reason that that's important is because in the course of a rate case, uh, the rates that are rate increase that's being uh, asked for is given a high level of scrutiny by the utilities commission is given a high level of scrutiny by the public staff which is the state agency that's sole responsibility is to make sure that ratepayers are protected uh, in this uh, system of regulated uh, state regulated monopolies and then also in a rate case all the interested and affected parties uh, are able to intervene in those rate cases, bring in witnesses to challenge the assumptions and findings of whatever documentation the utility uh, offers to justify its rate. And all that is taken into account when the uh, Utilities Commission makes its final order and decides how much of a rate case to allow, uh, how much of a rate increase to allow. Um, so our, I would say already, even in a rate case, it's a tremendous challenge to the interveners and to the public staff to meet the resources that the utility brings to a rate case. And uh, the idea of having a three-year uh, rate uh, authorization that all the uh, affected parties are going to be able to examine the plan for three years out and anticipate all the uh, things that might arise in that three-year period just further increases the disadvantage at which uh, those uh, folks advocate uh, for their own uh, welfare. Um, the second uh, part of the uh, part two of the legislation allows for what's called a rate of equity banding. And what rate of equity banding is, is it's authority for the Utilities Commission to allow uh, the uh, utility to collect a certain percentage above uh, its target rate or below its target rate, and in the case if it's over the target uh, rate, as long as it's within the band, then the utility can keep those over earnings. If it's under the target return, then the utility can come back and uh, appeal for uh, to be able to make up those losses in uh, their rates going forward. So the 
that's all very technical, and I understand that it's, it's hard for people to understand. I think what really brings it down to uh, brass tacks is when you look at how has this worked out in uh, other states? Well, the answer is it's been a very mixed uh, uh, bag in other states, uh, but a mixed bag includes bad outcomes. So in Virginia, they had a similar law with both multi-year rate making and uh, rate of return banding. And uh, the result was that over three or four years, uh, it was estimated that Dominion collected a billion dollars of over-earning, and that was unrecoverable under that uh, law. And so one of the key arguments that uh, we made and others made, and this was a very broad coalition of uh, interest in groups, uh, that were opposed to uh, this uh, bill, including uh, advocates for low-income folks, uh, environmentalists, clean energy folks, other ratepayers, industrial ratepayers. Um, you know, their concern was that already the Utilities Commission is establishing a uh, target rate of return, which is based on the expected uh, rate of return on capital. And this would allow the uh, utility to, as a matter of course, be able to go as high as a percent above the, uh, above the goal that is set, the, the, what you could be thought of as the legitimate rate of return, the expected rate of return. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because uh, it, uh, that re can result, could result in upwards of $100 million in over-earnings uh, by the utilities uh, a year. And there are uh, safeguards that can be put in place. Uh, one of the things that uh, is uh, used in other states is what's called performance-based uh, rate-making. And what that does is it gives, in addition to the authority uh, for the uh, uh, Public Utilities Commission to uh, set these uh, multi-year rates is it allows them to set criteria for performance in terms of energy efficiency and other things that the uh, customer would be concerned about and if the and set quantitative goals and if the utility uh, achieves those quantitative goals then they can return receive a higher rate of return uh, if they don't achieve those goals then they can uh, be uh, docked uh, a rate of return. And so it makes it, what, what uh, performance-based rate making does is it tries to, through uh, regulation, create some of the efficiencies that you might see in a market where a actor is uh, benefited if they do their uh, work and they run their business more efficiently and penalized if they do their uh, business less efficiently. Senate Bill 559 had bipartisan opposition uh, with those controversial measures that you were just talking about. How did that bipartisan opposition transpire throughout the evolution of this bill, and what was the final result of Senate Bill 559? It should be said that there was bipartisan opposition and there was bipartisan support in uh, both uh, chambers, or in the, in the Senate, bipartisan support, uh, in the House, uh, I mean, there was bipartisan support as well. 
the fundamental thing I think is that the lack of uh, the lack of oversight was just not uh, something that legislators could get comfortable with. And the, uh, you know, I, I think we and others did a good job of uh, educating the public and, you know, the public, you know, read articles in their paper and, you know, the local business journals and uh, saw what exactly was being proposed there. And uh, it did not uh, make them comfortable. They uh, were not satisfied that en enough safeguards had been put in place uh, to make sure that they would not wind up being overcharged and have nothing that they could be uh, do about it. Uh, and so I think that really fundamentally was the thing that uh, uh, caused the members of both parties in both chambers to be unwilling to support this. The thing that we and other uh, uh, advocates called for was let's have a stakeholder process. There's not we're not arguing that there, it's impossible to have multi-year rate making or rate of return banding uh, and have it be uh, uh, acceptable or even a good thing. But the only way that we're going to get to that is if we have all the stakeholders from their unique perspectives sit down and talk through it and get the uh, safeguards in place that uh, can bring uh, that diverse group of uh, interests to consensus. Uh, two years ago, we had a uh, stakeholder process with House Bill 589, which addressed, um, you know, how uh, uh, solar energy in, in is uh, compensated and a variety of other uh, clean energy programs. That uh, stakeholder uh, group met for probably eight months, every couple of weeks at least, and in the end, there was a bill that was, uh, you know, there was consensus support for, and it passed. And you know, there's, it's not perfect, uh, and there's, but that is the way that you get legislation that has the most likelihood of getting support and the most likelihood of when it's implemented, uh, having satisfactory outcomes. Senate Bill 559 passed unanimously through the House and the Senate, was signed by the governor. Was this the biggest clean energy victory win of the session? Yes, yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, the key thing, though, I was so relieved when they decided in the conference report between the two chambers to strip out Section 2 altogether because it was too controversial to get through the House for sure. So that was, of course, a tremendous uh, victory because uh, it had been hard fought for eight months. But the key thing to, for folks to realize is what happened is that we did not lose. So multi-year rate making, uh, rate of return banding, those concepts are still out there. There's still interest on the part of utilities in uh, seeing those policies adopted. Hopefully, uh, we can have a real stakeholder process as we talk about, uh, you know, those policies. But the whole menu of policies uh, that, uh, you know, affect rate making, there's, there's a variety of different uh, mechanisms that uh, offer real benefits that deserve a, a fair discussion and a negotiation uh, before we decide on major 
landscape changing uh, changes in energy policy. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, it's exciting that we got to see a really robust coalition of a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different voices represented. And at the end of the day, the legislators made the decision that was best for ratepayers. And I think that that's important to keep in mind, because even though as clean energy advocates, we're excited about this, I think North Carolina should be hopeful that legislators really are looking out for their best interests and that this decision was in their best interest. So I think it's a positive overall. Yes, that's true. And I tell you, the one of the most positive things about it and one of the most important things about the effort to uh, get the uh, bad provisions out of Senate Bill 559 was the fact that legislators received thousands of calls, emails, and contact from their constituents and from people across the state. And that is by far more effective than anything that, uh, you know, that lobbyists can do, uh, you know. So the key is for folks to understand that this really was their victory Mm. and uh, they need to be vigilant going forward because the energy uh, policy uh, horizon is ever-changing and we're moving into a period where there's likely to be lots of innovation in terms of technology that will require lots of innovation in policy and everybody needs to show up at that discussion. Right on. And uh, I think our I think our listeners did show up in a lot of ways. I mean, NCSCA had action alerts. We were able to send over 20,000 emails just from NCSCA's action alert software. So we're really happy about that. All right, Tom. Well, we covered all the legislation that I wanted to talk about on the show, but it wasn't all of it. There were other pieces of legislation that were clean energy related. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about legislation that went through the General Assembly this time around, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email is benstockdale at energync.org. If you have any questions about the legislative session, I'd love to answer any of those. And so, Tom, overall, how would you characterize this session for clean energy? This was a good session for uh, clean energy. It was a good session for clean energy. And I would say that uh, we've made a good start and uh, we can be hopeful about the future because uh, there's a lot of uh, members in both caucuses that do appreciate and appreciate uh, increasingly the value of clean energy. And uh, so we need to go for it. Well, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. This was a great conversation. This is about as wonky as we get on this show where we're getting technical with this legislation. So thanks for providing that expert insight. You are a phenomenal guest. I'd love to have you back on the show at some point to maybe talk about what the 2020 session looks like, predictions for the future. I know we didn't get into next steps on this episode, but we would love to have you back on a future episode to talk more about clean energy policy in North Carolina. So Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Ben, and I look forward to uh, talking with the uh, listeners of the Squeak Clean podcast again. And there you have it, folks, the 15th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears. Always, always. Ben, I think we really did it this time. We have uh, created an incredible episode. Wow. Thanks, Jarvis. I appreciate that. 
And I think you'll uh, be getting a paycheck next month. Yeah, love to hear it. You know, I'm just doing my job. Just doing my job. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Jarvis. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think it was a good episode. Yeah. So what do you think the key takeaways from today's episode were? Well, I think there's one major takeaway, and that is that our success from this legislative session came from the fact that we had a broad coalition of voices that were able to advocate for good policies and then advocate against the wind ban, EV fee increase, obviously Senate Bill 559, but we had a broad coalition that was able to communicate the effects of these policies to legislators. And so I'm really looking forward to what we can achieve in the short session in 2020. And then hopefully in 2021, when we can introduce new policies, we can make some big gains for clean energy. I definitely agree. And I think another thing that made this um, show so good is Mr. Tom Bean's perspective on Senate Bill 559. It really seems like he was in the thick of things and really knows everything from top to bottom. Well, he definitely does. And we're glad to have him. And we're glad to have you on this podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And stay tuned for our next episode. You are not going to believe who we got on the show. You won't. We got actually two people. It's a twofer. Not one, but two. Not one, but two. Count them up. One of them is an NBA all-star. Wow. And the other guest was the former head of the National Wildlife Federation. That's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And we're super excited to have him on the pod. So stay tuned for that episode. Thanks for listening to part one, part two of our 2019 legislative recap. Have a great day and take care.